Okay. So we're going to dive in. Mm-hmm. Cheers to um, Lindy and Paige again. Yes. And uh, appreciate you. All right. Wait a minute. Hmm? Are we supposed to have another drink? Mm-mm. Not for, for a part one and two. Oh, okay. Do you need another? Do you, no, I'm I mean, just you saying. Can, I mean, you know. Well, well it was pretty Pop open your wine. No, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're wanting to range water, aren't you? Just work good. <laughs> but no, we can keep going. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Got salt on my lips. Okay, so let me. Are you sure? Give you the. Well, here. <laughs> let me give no, you I didn't the like main. Those as much as the other. I'll wait for. Well, I'll you wait. just finished it. You slurped it. Wow, and slurped on the podcast. I'll make you another in a bit. No, that's okay. Okay, so the main investigators uh, were William Hardy Bill Presley. Oh, that may be his dad then. Maybe he was one of the investigators, and he had all his notes. Oh, yeah. He was the Bowie County Uh, Sheriff who was the first lawman on the scene of the first three attacks. Oh, wow. Then you have Jackson Neely, Jack Runnels. He was the chief of police in the Texarkana, Texas side. What was his name again? Jackson Neely, Jack Runnels. Okay. So Jack was his name. nickname. Um, and he was among the first to be at the scene of the two double murders as well. Okay. W.E. Davis. He was a Miller County Sheriff who headed the investigation of the Starks murder, which y- y'all aren't going to remember the names, but in case people want to research, they can do I don't it. Know, Jack Russell, I remember. And then yeah. um, Max Tackett, my fave, my fave. <laughs> he was an Arkansas State Police detective who was first on the scene of the Starks attacks because they were like right there because oh, they were yes. going to turn in their expense yeah. reports. He was also the one that figured out a, a connection that led to the arrest of the guy that I think is responsible. So mm-hmm. Max was pretty smart. Do you know how long he was in law enforcement? Uh, it may be there? in my notes, but he um, lived until, let's see, he was born in 1912 and he died in 1972. So he was 60 okay. years old. Okay. And the book goes into, like at the end, you know, they do all the remaining, mm-hmm. like how long yeah. they were detectives and all that. Okay. Then Tillman Johnson, he's another one that showed up quite a bit. He was the Miller County uh, Chief Sheriff's Deputy. He was one of the leading investigators. He became the go-to man. For coordinating the case, he kept personal case files, which survived the official files that went missing. Uh, he was the last surviving lawman from the case. Went missing? hmm And was often contacted by interested mm. parties, including television producers. And then the most colorful, which if you Google him, you'll find him. He was a handsome man. Ladies, you know, oh, kind of flocked on, around I'm him. Okay, so his oh, name. Like handsome. Manuel Trezazas Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Oh, my word. What? Yes, Manuel. Texas Ranger. Okay, so M-A-N-U-E-L. Mm-hmm. And then go ahead and put Lone Wolf because that will okay, bring him up. thank you. And <laughs> then right. Gonzalez is G-O-N-Z-A-U-L-L-A. I'm letting our listeners know. L-L-A-S if you want to look him up. And they... Say he is handsome. He's also known as El Labo Solo. Yes, yes. And he had a little bit of a personality. He was colorful. He liked the attention. He talked to the press all the time. But women just thought he was so handsome. I have to see a younger picture, I think. Oh, Oh, yeah. That can't be him. He's got younger. Yeah, that's him. But notice his foot's up, you know. Yeah. He's, yep. He was a smooth talker. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, so he was a public face of the investigation. He would hold a lot of uh, numerous press conferences, but he was a Texas Ranger captain. So they called the Rangers oh. in. 
Also, the FBI became involved uh, later, but um, he was criticized for being a showman, and he spent a great deal of time with female reporters. <laughs> and then five years after the uh, the murders, he left the Rangers and became okay, a technical better. consultant to the entertainment industry. And by the way, oh. um, there is a, a Texas oh. Ranger Museum. Oh, yeah, it's in Waco. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. I recommend. Okay. So police question. So now, okay, we're amped up. The town's in a panic. They're trying to find this person. Everybody's scared he's going to kill in three weeks again. You know, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And they questioned over 400 suspects. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they worked. All of them were cleared. They tried to trap the killer using mannequins, posed as teenagers (laughs) in Lover's Lane. Mm -hmm. But nothing, nothing happened. Um, the killer never killed again. Uh, then, well, some think he did maybe a little bit later, which we'll get into. And then also teenagers, which I think I get into it, but teenagers were posing, trying to catch him with weapons. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. I wonder if he quit if he was in prison, out of town. Took you a know, pause. Yeah. That's what I was wondering. Why we'll get, we'll get into it. She's like patiently. I, yeah. Yes. I'll say it again. You're yes. doing good, Sherry. Thank yeah. you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But here's where Tackett comes in. Your favorite. Yes. Okay. He noticed that on the night of each attack, a car was reported stolen and later abandoned. Okay. Now, the time back then, it was almost impossible to find a new car because of the war. Uh, All the rationing and stuff. Okay. So if someone had a new car, more than likely it was going to get stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just bull crap. You come back from a war, you still up. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I digress. And then um, <laughs> older cars were stolen. So people couldn't get cars. And so criminals in particular would steal a car, go do their crime, and then abandon the car. Mm-hmm. So typically the car was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. But it was a really, really big deal. And and so Tackett, he's like, okay, this I'm definitely noticing this pattern. Plus they noticed the car that was empty that they drove by, you know, mm-hmm. when they went by the Starks. Uh, now, all the roads... <laughs> around Texarkana were filled up either with, you know, ploys or these um, uh, teenagers trying to catch this guy. One time a policeman approached one of the parked cars on an isolated road and he asked him, he said, aren't y'all scared being out here with a killer on the loose? And the young lady in the car said, you're the one who ought to be scared, mister. It's a good thing you told me who you are. I was ready for the killer, and then she showed him a twenty-five caliber pistol <laughs> that she had been pointing at him the entire time. Whoa. Yep. So police need to announce who they are. Right. Especially in cases like this. And then on May 10th, police were alerted to a car that had been following a bus. They chased the car for three miles. They even shot out the tires and they arrested C.J. Lauderdale Jr., a high school athlete. He explained that he was following the bus because a passenger on the bus made him suspicious. He was unaware that he's being chased by police in an unmarked car. Right. So it scared him and he thought that they were the killer. Dang. Yeah, so you can just get the climate. The climate. Yeah. Of what, I mean, it's a shock that no one got accidentally shot. Exactly. Well, maybe, yeah. You know? It was, re- yeah, yeah. Okay, so the list of suspects, let's get into those. The first one is H.B. Duty 
Nickname? These Tennyson? names, man. Mm-hmm. So Henry Booker Duty Tennyson was mm-hmm. an 18-year-old university freshman who died by suicide mm-hmm. November 4th, 1948, leaving behind cryptic instructions which directed investigators to a suicide note in which Tennyson confessed to the Booker, Martin, and Starks murders. He had played trombone in the same high school band as Booker, but they were not friends. Investigators were unable to find any other evidence linking Tennyson to the murders. James Freeman, a friend of Tennyson, provided an alibi for the night of the Starks murders, stating that they had been playing cards that evening when they heard the news of the attack. So, I would think he was older anyway. Than mm-hmm. So uh, how do you commit suicide? Do you know? I don't. Okay. Yeah. To me, it does seem like an older person, mm-hmm. huh? Like a man, a killer, yeah. not a, a not an 18 year old, 18 year old fresh out of school or in college. But they behaved older then. Yes. True. But I don't know. It just has that feel. Sophistication, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maturity. Like, yeah. Like a more of a mature criminal, even just gotcha. again, the fact that there was no evidence, hardly the only mistake he made was in the Starks murder. If, if, you know, that was the same guy. And then there, you know, of course it was like, everything went wrong because he didn't mm-hmm. kill her right yeah. off the bat, you know? So, okay. um, the next one was Ralph, uh, Bauman. He was a 21 year old ex army air force machine gunner. He claimed to have awoken from a fugue state of several weeks on the day of the Starks murder with his rifle missing. He said he had heard about a suspect matching his description and he hitchhiked to L.A. feeling that he was running for murder. On May 23rd, he told L.A. police he thought he might beat the Phantom. I'm my own suspect, he said. No. Mm-mm. Uh, police arrested him, but Gonzalez stated that several parts of the man's story had little basis in fact. Uh Bowman said that he had been discharged from the Air Force for being a psychoneurotic and that he had previously confessed to killing three people in Texarkana. No, don't believe that one. Is the killer. Okay, so then the saxophone okay. peddler. Uh, investigators had hoped that Booker, Booker's saxophone, which he had played the night of the murder, which was missing, might lead them to a suspect. So on April 27th, a suspicious man was arrested in Corpus Christi, Texas, for trying to sell a saxophone to a music store. Now, this is before they found it in the bushes. Yeah, because that was six months later. They also found a thrown-out black book, like a little notebook at the last um, Lover's Lane one, um, where the boy was a, a mile away from his car. They found that in the shrubs, which will be very important later. I don't think that's him either. Uh, let's see. So he was asked about selling the instrument to the store, but became evasive and fled from the store manager. Although no saxophone was found in his possession, the police found a bag of bloody clothing in his hotel room. Uh, after several days of questioning, he was cleared, though, and then Booker's saxophone was located October 24th, six months after her murder, in underbrush near the place where her body had been found. Mm, I wonder what kind of clothing. And you know what? I know. And like, why did it have blood on it? And what was interesting is, if I'm not mistaken, the um, people that found the saxophone weren't even police. But one of the, um, I think it was one of the cops did find the little notebook, but he kept it back. Like he kept it to himself. And then later when someone mentioned it that was questioned, no one would have known what was in the, where it was found. It was the young man's and he had like notes in there and stuff. That was murdered. Yeah. Mm. 
And then on May 8th, it was announced that an escaped German prisoner of war who is already being hunted as a matter of routine was considered a suspect. He was described as a stocky 24-year-old weighing 187 pounds with brown hair and blue eyes. He had stolen a car in Mount Ida, Arkansas, and attempted to buy ammunition in several eastern Oklahoma towns. The police kept searching for the POW, but it was said that he vanished into thin air. They had an unknown hitchhiker, which was very common back in the day. Yeah. Uh, on May 7th, a hitchhiker armed with a pistol, carjacked and robbed a man, threatening to kill him. And he stated that he had killed five people in Texarkana, naming Martin and Booker. Hmm. The hitchhiker went on to say that he was not finished killing people. But Gonzalez said that police were doubtful that he was the phantom killer. Because the Phantom Killer had gone to such great lengths to hide his identity that it didn't make sense mm-hmm. that he would then tell a person that mm-hmm. he's robbing his car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was probably a scare tactic. Yeah. Okay. Then they had a Toka County suspect. On May 10th in Atoka, Oklahoma, a man assaulted a woman in her home, ranting that he might as well kill her because he'd already killed three or four people and that he was going to rape her. He then fled. So I guess he didn't rape her. Um, I don't know. A widespread search, including 20 officers and 160 residents, um, found him two days later, but they didn't think he was the Phantom either, and he could not have been in Texarkana at the time of the Starks murder. But if you think that the Starks were not were not connected, then he was probably a pretty good suspect. For them, yeah. And then Sammy... Um, he, it was a pseudonym for a long time Texarkana resident with a good reputation. So the police were, they didn't want to name him because it would have ruined his reputation. Okay. His vehicles, uh, tire tracks were found across the road from the Martin corpse. He also failed a polygraph test. So the police decided to have him hypnotized. And the psychiatrist was Travis Elliott. Elliott concluded that Sammy had no criminal tendencies. They pulled his vehicle to the side of the road in order to urinate. And then he subsequently visited a married woman with whom he was having an affair. Okay. Uh, and that's why mm-hmm. he failed the polygraph. And if I'm not mistaken, he was a black man. So what I liked about that, and the only reason I bring it up, is the fact that the cops in Arkansas, which was very much involved in the Civil War on the Confederate side, the fact that the police were not willing to hurt his reputation because he was well-liked and well-known mm-hmm. in town, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was a black man in the South, I thought was neat. Yeah, very yeah, honoring. That is nice. A taxi driver was also a major suspect. Uh, uh, and then on May 7th at 6 a.m., the body of Earl Cliff McSpaden was found on the Kansas City Southern Railroad track 16 miles, 16 miles north of Texarkana near Ogden. The body's left arm and leg had been severed by a freight train a half hour earlier. The coroner's jury verdict said death at the hands of persons unknown, but that he was dead before being placed on the railroad tracks. Because the murder is unsolved, some people think that that's the Phantom's sixth victim, um, but others think that he committed suicide by jumping in front of the train. I agree with that. But the, uh, why did they say he was killed before? I don't know. Maybe the blood, like if there was a, but if you sever limbs with a train, it may seal to where you don't have as much bleeding. Well, that's true. Because of the heat. Just the impact. The, yeah, I've yeah. heard of that. The mm-hmm. heat and the, the weight mm-hmm. of the train. Mm-hmm. But here's the one, drum roll please, 
Is that a demo? There you go. There we go. That was my air drum roll, man. Okay. This one is Yule Swinney, a 29-year-old criminal. Okay. So as stated, Tackett the fave, right? Uh, Sherry is smiling. Yes. So he noticed a car stolen and abandoned each time there was a murder. Okay. Let me give you a rundown of how Swinney was connected to the crimes from um, Unresolved Me. And then the book goes into greater detail. Officer Tackett made the realization that on each of the nights that the Phantom Killer struck, a car had been stolen from the area. And one of these cars, which had been stolen on the night that Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore were murdered, March 24th, had just been found in a parking lot months later. On June 28th, 1946, a Friday, Officer Tackett decided to stake out the vehicle until the thief returned. He was surprised to find that the person coming to the vehicle was not a scary-looking man, but rather an innocent-looking young lady. Peggy Um. Stevens was 21 years old. Upon being confronted, told Officer Tackett that she had just gotten back from Shreveport, Louisiana, where he would learn she had just married Swinney. In fact... They had gotten married just hours before she was detained. Well, where was, where was he? Sweeney. Her Wouldn't husband. Be together? Her husband, she said, was in Atlanta, Texas, trying to sell another stolen vehicle. Officer Tackett was able to follow this lead to Atlanta, where he learned more about this Swinney. He was eventually able to confront him at the Arkansas Motor Coach bus station along Texarkana's Front Street near Union Station. At first, the suspect tried running away. He ran out of the back of the building and tried to escape via a fire escape, but there he was cornered by police and was quoted, Please don't shoot me. Tackett told him, Well, we're not going to shoot you for stealing cars. And then Swinney said, Mr. Don't Play Games With Me. You want me more for, more for more than stealing cars. Oh. And he made several other comments. And at first they weren't connecting them. And then later they're like, that's weird. Because he's going to get arrested for stealing cars. Why would he just... And in the coming like hours and days, things. he kept saying that. So he thought they were playing games with them. So then after a while, they're like, did he do more than steal cars? Like they're... yeah. Obviously, something's going on here, and they wanted to know what other crimes he had uh, committed. Okay, so let me give you your record, the record that he has, and I want to tell you more details on how they caught him. Okay. Uh, so he had car theft, counterfeiting, burglary, and assault. Swinney's wife, Peggy, would later confess that he was the phantom killer and that she had even asked him, how did they find out? Okay, now my details might be a little sketchy, but what it sounds like is Swinney went to a car dealership in a different town. It might have been the Atlanta place. And he was trying to buy this vehicle and the car guy was very suspicious. And he looked nice. You know, he was a personable person, but his story was just weird. So he and a friend of his decided to go to Texarkana and try to find this guy because they thought the car he was driving was stolen because it was brand new. Why would he want to sell his brand new car for a used junker car from this guy? Mm -hmm. So that's what it was. It's like you're wanting to sell your brand new car post-World War II. You know, like it didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, they get to Texarkana 
They're friends with the cops. Tack gets one of the cops that's involved in the case, and they do a stakeout. And they peg her. They peg Peggy, but they can't find Swinney. Okay. And so after a while, sure enough, they found him. What I think is extremely smart is that he had just married her a few hours before. Yeah. And a wife cannot testify against a husband. Mm -hmm. So she knew for a while then if that was the killer. Interesting, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Plus, we have his criminal history. He was a career criminal. He'd been doing it since he was like 12 or 13 years old. He was like the black sheep of the family. But no murder or rape. As far as I know. Yeah. But still a lot of petty crimes. Mm-hmm. And then um, this is a picture. Which one do you think is a criminal? <laughs> that one in the middle of the white shirt next to the policeman. Him? No. Right there. Yes. Wearing a suit, and a tie. nice shirt, mm-hmm. a tie, or wearing a tie, a nice shirt, and pants. That's how criminals dressed back then. Look at his well put together hair. And I gotta say, you know, comparison separate, to he? the uh, police officers. Oh, they're like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are, he looks well put together, well pressed. Are all of those officers? Yeah, these are the two guys that helped get them. Oh. And then um, I believe that's a cop, and then they're a cop. Uh, uh-huh. I, I think the little guy might be Tackett. The little fella. But yes, isn't that crazy how good he looks yeah. for being a criminal? Yeah. All dressed up. Did he looks he young. Work? Yeah, did he work? He looks like maybe almost 30 or a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't have a picture of Peggy. So what they do is they arrest both of them, and they... They were like passing notes and stuff. So they were incriminating themselves. More and more was coming out. So Swinney was like, don't say a word. Right. And I love you. And like the, the typical thing that these guys do to try to keep her from talking. Um, now, some have dismissed that he did it because Peggy, they say that Peggy's um, story of events don't match. I don't agree. She had details no one would have known but the police. Do you know how long Peggy and him knew each other? For a few, a couple years. Okay. Okay. And he was abusive. Uh-huh. Yeah, he would beat her, and he was really jealous. And in the book, okay. what you'll find is each night that there was a murder, bad fight. There was a bad fight. Okay. Or he was jealous. Um. There, and then we think she was at the one with um, Betty Joe. And Martin. Mm. Which and, one was that? Because she Sorry. kept calling them little kids, and he shouldn't have shot those little kids. The first um, one? No. The uh, one that played saxophone. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. The crime scene I showed you. Uh-huh. Okay. It really bothered she her. she was 15. Okay. Now, she would change her story, but mm-hmm. it was in typical fashion that criminals do where they minimize their involvement. Mm-hmm. And so I personally don't think she was at all of them, but I think she was for sure at that one. And possibly the one before.
Okay. But she only admits to that one or her being at that Okay. Point. Well, she would confess on three separate occasions, but yeah, I, she might have alluded to the other one so, but the mm-hmm. most illuminating parts I'll read you. So her first confession was July 23rd. During this confession, she said he and I were at his sister's house at 20, uh, 220 Center Street. We were discussing the murders in Texarkana, and I asked him who killed these people, and he told me that it was someone with a brilliant mind, someone with more sense than the cops. So now she's just kind of <laughs> playing around. Yep. Typical. They all think that. Yeah. And then I at one of the crimes, which I think was Betty, Joe, and Martin, um, they were at her sister's, I believe, and they got in a fight because they were living there rent-free, and the sister was getting mad about it, and he got kicked out and, you know, just, you could see a definite pattern. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. if the lack of light was really that big of a deal as it was that he seemed to be getting into a pattern of high intense emotion and, and fights and things like that. You know, it's interesting. We are still seeing patterns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The same. Okay. She mm-hmm. said that uh, months uh, prior and when she had gone out to dinner, a movie with him, then her boyfriend and on their way home, he stopped alongside the road to take a leak. This happened to be near <laughs> Spring Lake Park, the same place that Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker were parked before the assault. She says, Yule was gone from the car about one hour when I heard something that sounded like two gunshots. I do not know whether they were pistol or shotgun shots. It was just getting daylight when he came back to the car and started driving out of the park at a rapid rate of speed. When he came back to the car, I saw that his clothes were wet up to his knees and damp around his waist. But then... At um, the day after the first one, she confessed and changed her statements just a little bit. She described herself as less of an ignorant girlfriend and more as a bystander, bystander to the various crimes. She claimed to be a bystander to them and that she witnessed the murders of Paul Martin and Betty Joe, murders that she said were a robbery gone wrong. She would confess on more than one occasion on November 22nd of 46. She would provide law enforcement with several details that point toward her, toward her telling the truth. She uh, took police to the spot where Paul Martin's vehicle was found. She told them that she had been there in the woods watching the crime take place. And then sure enough, they found a woman's heel print at the crime scene and they were shocked to hear a new detail. She said that the date book, Paul Martin's date book, the little black book, had been thrown into some bushes near the crime scene. And sure enough, that's where it had been found. Um, and, uh, it was Bill Presley, the county sheriff that knew about this detail and he hadn't released it to anybody from what the book said, cause I read all of her confessions. Basically she was a participant in the crime. It does sound like she thought he was just going to rob them. And when he walked Martin away from the car, she was with Betty Joe comforting her. Like he's just gonna, he's just gonna, you know, rob them and blah, blah. And then when they heard the two shots, it freaked both of them out. And she said that she thought about letting her go, but then she was afraid if she did, he'd kill both her and the girl. Then she had to drive the car. I mean, there was, she was very much involved and she knew exactly where he took Betty Joe, exactly where he killed her. She heard the shots and everything. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Now, the 32 cult, and this is from Peggy, but they also found out that at the time of the first murders, he did have it, 
but it had been sold in a game of craps, which is a very good way of mm-hmm. getting rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they found a shirt in his possession that had the name Starks on it mm-hmm. and had welding slag in the pockets. Mm. Um, but her stories would always change. And so, and then the fingerprints weren't good enough to connect them to the crimes either. Uh, and then it was against the law for her to testify against her husband. Pa- uh, Swinney refused to talk because he knew the minute he did, he was getting the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So he would, he never, ever said anything. He came close and then detectives knocked on the door because they had information and they broke the spell. You think it's a coincidence he married her right before they got caught, though? Oh, I mean, no, it's not a coincidence. I, mean, I think he, he knew his time was, it was getting... But he couldn't predict when. Well, no, but, he, I mean, he, he knew. And so he was going to have to, especially if she was involved in the Booker-Martin murder, he knew he had to do something because she would be able to testify. Plus ma- manipulation. Mm-hmm. But why didn't he just kill her? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, he actually did her like quiet, her. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, or... That would definitely connect him because that was his girlfriend. So if he kills her. But then you just kill the girlfriend. They're going to look at him. They're going to be like, why would you kill the girlfriend? You know, so they were starting to put the pieces together. And I think he knew that he was going to have to marry her or. Not that I advocate killing a girlfriend to get rid of an alibi. I'm just saying. (laughs) Or she was loose lips and he thought marrying her would keep her quiet. Loose lips, tight yeah. hips. Yeah. Loose lips, sink ships. You sink know what I'm saying? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's right one hips. of those things. I don't know. I thought something about right hips. hips. <laughs> I thought I had some notes in here. Um, you know, to pacifier, hmm. so to speak. Yeah, I can't find them. I thought Three I had Meredith. some notes that I had taken um, from the book, but it's okay. I'm, I'm remembering quite a bit. Okay. Okay. She also um, said he did get a twenty-two. Okay. She was with him. Uh, okay. So to me, he's having to get rid of the weapons. At this point, I don't know if she knew he was connected to all of them. You know, when he got the different weapons. Later, she probably figured it mm-hmm. out. So he did get the twenty-two later. She knows exactly who he got it from. They, um, they couldn't find the guy. He was uh, um, like a hitchhiker, like a vagrant, uh, not vagrant, um, like a hobo. Isn't it a vagrant? You know, yeah, I guess. He would travel on okay. the train tracks and all that stuff. Um, but there were several witnesses that saw the exchange. And he would have bought a gun? Mm-hmm. A yeah. vagrant? Yeah, black yeah. market. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, they wouldn't be able to afford one, number one. Oh, yeah, he did. He stole all the time. And he sold cars. So it sounds no, like I what know he... the vagrant. The vagrant. Well, they he had probably weapons. stole it. Yeah, I mean, vagrants can have weapons. The thing that's interesting, though, mm-hmm. is... It sounds like they would steal cars somewhere and then they would drive them to another city and sell them. Like they drove to Lubbock several times and sold the stolen cars there. So it sounds like they were running stolen cars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really interesting. Um, then she also saw him almost beat to death a guy. Uh, and it was around the same time where they were hanging out with these certain people where he got his guns and sold his other. Where And I don't remember what the guy did. I don't know if he insulted Peggy or if he was like, he Kinda liked her, her, but he got a chain and he almost beat him to death in the head with it. Wow. So he definitely had rage. His dad hated his guts. He was a preacher. He was an alcoholic, hidden. He was a hypocrite and he would beat uh, Swinney. 
Uh, mom left. I mean, same, the same the mom pattern. Left yep. The kid mm-hmm. yep. with the dad. It does sound like the rest of the family was very well adjusted, though. And some of them mentioned there was something off, like no affect, no connecting yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very well. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the deal. So, okay, here's what happened. So when they catch him, well, okay, let me get back to that. (laughs) Let me tell you about the final victim, some thought, but guys reading that book, the evidence, the police reports, these cops knew they had the killer. Mm -hmm. They just couldn't get him because they couldn't get the guns. They couldn't have her testify. And so they worked out a very interesting deal, which I'll get to in a second. Um, but they, they thought there might have been a final victim. So the killing stopped after Swinney was caught. But in, on June 1st, 1948, 21-year-old Virginia Carpenter went missing in Denton, Texas. She was last seen by a taxi driver around 930, and she was never seen again. Although numerous individuals reported seeing her, they never led to her being discovered. As late as 1998, Denton police got a tip that she was buried at the college campus that she was supposed to attend, but no body was ever found. Police connected her to the Texarkana murders because she knew three of the victims. Well, here's what I found out from Wikipedia. Virginia was recovering from a sunburn when she uh, packed for her trip to Denton. Mrs. Carpenter, the mom, wanted to take her to Denton by car, but she insisted that she would be fine on the train. On June 1st, the day of her disappearance, they ran to the station and caught the train moments before it left. Uh, Quote, I was so in hopes we would find the train gone so that I could drive her the next morning. Mm. There was a tinge of disappointment when I saw the train had not (laughs) left, but she refused to get on until she kissed me goodbye. And as she stood on the uh, rear platform of the train waving goodbye, I wondered if there was anyone more radiant and beautiful. In my heart, I offered a silent prayer because she was mine. What a sweet relationship. Mm -hmm. An only child, Virginia was five foot three inches tall. She weighed 120 pounds, had dark brown hair and eyes, and I couldn't find a picture. Um, She was last seen wearing a light white chambray dress. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. With brown and green stripes. Um, Some said red stripes. uh, Feathers stuck in the back. Red leather platform high-heeled shoes. And a gold Wittenauer watch. She took her red purse, a black pasteboard hat box, and a brown steamer trunk with a matching cosmetics case. <laughs> According to Mrs. Carpenter, her daughter left with no more than 15 or $20. Then on Tuesday, June 1st, Carpenter went to Texarkana Union Station, boarded the Texas and Pacific uh, Texas Special Number 31, which departed for Dallas at 3 p.m., The train stopped in Denton around six hours later. She was on her way to the Texas State College for Women Campus, now Texas Women's uh, University, to enroll in the summer course. Mm -hmm. While on the train, she met Marjorie Webster, a middle-aged school teacher who was also enrolled and from Texarkana. After arriving in Denton, both women hired a taxi. The driver was Edgar Ray Jack Zachary to take them to the college dormitory dormitories as webster was being dropped off at the fitzgerald carpenter realized she forgot to check on her trunk at the denton train station she asked zachary how much it would be to take her back to which he said 75 cents webster asked if she needed uh, to ride back with her but carpenter refused saying no i'll go alone i'll be all right after arriving again at the station carpenter went inside to get her trunk 
but came out a few minutes later claiming she could not get it. She spoke to a railroad employee named Mr. Butrell, who told her the trunk would not arrive until later. Zachary told Carpenter to sign the back of her claim check and that she would pick it up and deliver it to her the next morning. So the taxi driver is going to get it to her. Mm-hmm. Carpenter agreed and gave him her luggage receipt after writing Virginia Carpenter, room 200, Brackenridge, and a dollar for the extra tip or trip. Upon arriving back, so she got back to Brackenridge Hall at 930, Zachary said he saw a yellow or cream-colored convertible parked in the front. There was no moon. The streetlights were out due to repair work on the cable. He reported that she walked up to the vehicle, which had two men standing by it. Uh, one of them was tall. The other was short and stocky. She said, well, what, well, what are y'all doing here? Doesn't that sound like she knew them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said it seemed as though she was surprised to see them. The shorter boy talked to her and lifted her on the curb. Carpenter told Zachary to place her luggage on the ground because the boys would get them for her and to leave her trunk there in the morning as well. And doing, after doing so, Zachary drove off but did not hear the rest of the conversation. That was the last time anybody saw her. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that's a th- another victim. Other people, they saw her get out of the cab. They saw her you know, trunk dropped off the next day by Zachary. He did what she wanted. Three days later... On June 4th, Carpenter's boyfriend, Kenny Branham of Dallas, called her mother because he couldn't get a hold of her. Mrs. Carpenter, now worried, called TSCW and found out that her daughter never enrolled. She called friends and relatives that her daughter may have tried visiting. They had not heard from her. On Saturday, June 5th, uh, around 1230 a.m., she called the local authorities and the Denton police to report her missing. They said, well, just go to bed and we'll get on the case in the morning. Um, she couldn't sleep. So she and a Miss Lucille Bailey, a friend who was living with her left for Denton at 2 10 AM. The girl's Mm -hmm. uncle and friends went to Denton as well late that Saturday night to help assist in searching for her. Airplanes began scanning the Denton area. Motorboats were used to search ponds and lakes. Search parties searched the woods, tanks, storm drains, creeks, country roads, abandoned wells, the search went statewide as police checked out drivers of light-colored convertibles. I mean, everywhere. They came up with nothing. They um, talked to possible witnesses, farmers, hunters, um, nothing. A reward fund was set up um, leading to the arrest, but also her discovery. On Friday, because um, people were suspicious of the taxi driver, Yeah. Um, he took a polygraph, uh, which concluded he was not connected. By Monday, July 12th, it was rumored that Carpenter had returned home, but she wasn't there. Um, Shepard said that Carpenter knew some boys with a cream-colored convertible, but they weren't able to implicate them. Many leads and tips were thoroughly checked, but police, um, they were never able uh, to find her. Um, There's been some bones have been discovered since her disappearance, starting in 1959. She's never been found. She disappeared into thin air. Yeah, I don't think it's connected. Okay. So let me tell you, okay, okay, before I tell you uh-huh. how they did the Sweeney thing, mm-hmm. what do you think? Do you think he did it? The last one? No, Sweeney, did he, is he the killer? I think so. Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. They so just this couldn't prove, I mean, he, you know, they just couldn't they prove They could not it. prove it. Yeah. So what they did is, it was very creative, if I do say so myself. <laughs> so, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry for the car, <laughs> the chair noises. <laughs> Okay, so he because he took vehicles 
interstate wide mm-hmm. that were selling it was a federal crime. Nice. Oh, they gave yeah. them a choice. You can stay in Arkansas or you can go to Texas. <laughs> death penalty. And he said, I would prefer Texas. Really? They have the yeah. Death penalty here? Well, he wasn't going on the death penalty. They were getting him for car crimes. Three crimes. Because they couldn't get him for the murder. Yep. Yeah. He confessed to three of the car crimes. Okay, so after he confesses to three of the car crimes, they're like, all right, you can serve your sentence in uh, Arkansas or you can serve your sentence in Texas. Well, Arkansas jails, I guess, are worse than Texas jails at the time. So he opted for Texas. Well, what they did is he already had two previous convictions in Texas. In Texas? Oh, no. So that gave him the three strikes you're out. So I didn't know it was way back then. So wow. if you had three specific crimes, you know, it couldn't be like misdemeanors and things like that. Yeah. But if you had three um, felonies, then you could get a life sentence. And he had a lawyer. He Everything was above board. What he didn't know is that's what the detectives and the judges and the lawyers, the prosecutors were trying to do because they knew he was guilty of these murders and they needed to get him off the streets and they knew if they got him to Texas, he would get a life sentence. I didn't know nice. three strikes was back then. Yeah, yeah. I the thought 40s. that was new in the 90s. Too. Wow. And so maybe it disappeared, then it came back. Okay. Well, what's interesting is, you know, he's like, absolutely. And part of it, they think, is that he was afraid if he said no, they were going to come after him on the murders. So he was fine getting out of Arkansas as well. And then later, he's like, why did I get a life sentence for car theft, you know? So through a whole bunch of legal hoops and different attorneys, he was a, I think he had served like 20 years and he, um, it might have been longer actually, but anyway, he got out in 1994. Did he ever do anything else again? Uh, yeah, he did get into more, um, crimes and then, excuse me. And then he died. Uh, Satan's den. Yeah. But that's a different case. Um, <laughs> but this is him at the beginning when he went in, and this is him when he gets out. Well, he went back to Texarkana and talked to James Presley, the author, and wanted to sell his story. And and he's like, no, I you know, I'm not going to do that. Wanted. I don't remember. Um, he went and did like some construction work. And if if I'm not mistaken in the book, there was some rumors he liked little boys. Well, being in prison. And he got in trouble. Well, and he actually got in trouble for violently raping a man in prison. And then when he got out, he was always hanging out with men. So some have said that his anger was toward his mother, yet he loved her. And so that's why he killed the girls, but he would put like, he'd dress them or he wouldn't sexually assault them personally. Or he killed the one on the blanket, and that's why he he would pull the pants down on the guys, is because that's who he actually liked. Yeah, that's my thought. Uh, yeah, the very first one, I was like, "That's weird." Yeah, directed okay. at a woman. Because yeah. at first, yeah. I wondered if he just did it so they couldn't run. Yeah, you know, because that that I've seen that before in crimes. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I I think they got him. And I, yeah, I do too. And I he don't... served twenty plus years. There was never another crime like that ever. Mm-hmm. And so once he was caught, that was it. And uh, he served how many? Huh? How many years? Twenty. 
That's not very much. But even the judge was like, why are, why did you get a life sentence for stealing cars? So when he contacted the oh. DA, the DA is like, because he was the phantom killer. And they're like, what? Send me over the files. So they send the files over. The judge reads them, and he's like, ooh. Well, then that dude, Swinney, contacts the judge and basically threatens him if he doesn't let him out. So the judge decided you're too much of a risk. You're too violent. You threaten a judge, blah, blah. You're going to stay in jail. Well, then they went to a court above him, and the court's like, basically, even if you think he is the phantom mm-hmm. killer, you cannot keep him in jail forever on a car yeah. crime. Yeah. You know, and so he needs to be let out. He would have been paroled if it wasn't for that. Then after he got out, they're like, all right, fine. Him and Peggy are divorced. We'll go after him. They couldn't get anything from her and even his own family and and other people that knew him. They're like, there is no way we are going to testify against this guy because he will kill us. I would believe Like it. his own siblings are like, uh-uh. I think he did it and they didn't have evidence to prove it, but I don't think he did it. So kudos to Texas woman. and Arkansas for being or very... wife, I mean. Okay. For That's, being very creative. Yeah. At yeah. least he got 20 years. Yeah. At least they got him off the streets. And then by the time he got out, he was an old man. And even though he did some crime, there was never any murders that, you know, he ever committed Just after threatening. that. When did he die? 94. Yeah. 94? Mm-hmm. Oh, so not too uh, long after he got out. Mm-hmm. And he never, ever confessed. Ever. He never. See, that's why I think he was super smart. Yeah. Because... You've got, first he marries the chick, you know, he doesn't leave any evidence, um, and then he, ne- most criminals, they can't help it. They have to say what they, they did. Talk, he yeah. never did. But, okay, so along those lines, he said, um, you, you guys, what did he say when he was caught? You guys um, want me for a lot more than just. Well, he said, um, what are you going to do, shoot me? Yeah. And they're like, no, not right. for you know, car crime. And then he implied what basically he thought they were just using the car theft as a ruse. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know you want me more, for more than that. So he thought that they, they thought knew. he was the killer. Gotcha. But because he said that, then they're all, uh-huh. Well, his upbringing wasn't good. I wonder what his education Oh, was. and then his dad getting involved in it. And it was the whole thing. The book is fabulous. Mm-hmm. Recommended I, reading for I sure. one. But, it, the, I mean, the whole family, it was just the dynamics were interesting. You got the ones that are normal, and then you got the dad that is just jacked in the head. That's why I wondered what his education was, because his he had a pretty good education. Horrible. No, they, they all, I mean, the rest of his family, was they were successful, had stable oh. marriages and stuff. Um, but all because Max, my favorite yeah. cop, Max, yeah. he's the one that connected the dots, and they got him. So... Personally, I think the Phantom Killer is solved. What about you guys? Oh, I do. Yeah. I, I always did, but I, I knew they couldn't convict him of anything. No. Nope. But like I said, that last crime, I don't think he did. Well, the Mr. I and 100% Mrs. do. The you Mr. Do? and Mrs. Yeah, I don't think so, but. He did the Starks. He had his shirt. He had Stark's shirt in his possession. It had his name on the shirt. Oh, I missed that somehow. I, and I he listening. had gotten a twenty-two. Yeah. Yeah. So he did the Starks murder. There's no question about it. I recant. Okay. All right. Now, one moment. Oh, you can't look. Uh, We don't need that. So you can put it down. Yeah. Okay. Just refreshers. Yes. We've got it. Okay. 
Hit it. Be smart. Be rude. And don't be a victim. And thank you, Dusty, for the coasters. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? (laughs) Joseph.